we'll consider this morning from Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalms 1 and Psalm 2. We're taking a break for the summer in our series that we've been going through in the book of Isaiah to now start this new series, Summer in the Psalms. And we begin here at the very beginning with these two psalms, which we'll find work together, are found and function together. And so let us give our attention to the reading of God's Word, beginning with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations conspire, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it this morning. What if I told you that there existed a doorway? Imagine that picture, a large doorway that promised, this doorway promised a truly happy and meaningful life to all who passed through it. If you found that doorway, would you travel to go through it? Why wouldn't you? Well, I want to show you this morning that such a doorway actually exists, and you don't have to travel or pay your way to walk through it. It's free, and it's right before you and me this morning. It is a spiritual reality presented by these two psalms. At the end of this sermon, you will see how these two poems that we just read act like a double-door entrance into this book of ancient Hebrew poems and songs. And also, spoiler alert, this doorway leads ultimately to Jesus, who embodies these truths perfectly. And so I want you to see the purpose of these psalms in your life, yes, but ultimately I want to show you Jesus through them, because at the end of the day, that's, that's what we need, or rather, who 
we need. We need Jesus. And so that's where we are headed this morning. First off, let me explain how these two psalms function together as a doorway to the rest of the, the, the psalms, the poems in this book. Well, as you probably know, perhaps you don't, this ancient book or anthology of poems contains 150 psalms that were written by various authors. Many of the psalms were written by King David, but there are other authors as well, over hundreds of years. Now, once they were all written down, some composers then arranged them in the order that we find them today. Their order is not haphazard or random. They weren't just thrown together as we find them. The way they are lined up reveals an intentional purpose, a strategic design. And that design is revealed here in the very beginning. The first couple paragraphs, as any reader knows, the first paragraphs of a book are very important, right? Some books have hooked me in the first line of a book, and I, got, I was hooked, and so I couldn't let the book down and kept reading. Whereas other books that I've picked up and read the first paragraph, wasn't too excited, tried the second paragraph, and just got a bit disheartened and let it go because it didn't capture my attention. The first part of any book is very important, and so too the beginning of the Psalms here is very important. They show us the why and the what of all of the psalms. They summarize for us the main purpose and the message of all of the psalms together. Now, what is that purpose? It is to lead us to true blessedness. And that's what Psalm 1 is all about. The wisdom on how to find true blessedness. That's the purpose, leading us to blessedness. What's the message? Well, the message is that God will beat evil. He will beat and conquer all evil in the end and secure blessedness, how? Through his king and his kingdom. And that's what Psalm 2 is all about, the promised victory of God's kingdom and securing that blessedness for those who belong to him. So Psalm 1 gives us the wisdom to walk towards true blessedness, and Psalm 2 tells us the good news that God is the king who has promised and secured that blessedness for us. That purpose and that message both summarize the main purpose and message of all of the psalms together. The psalms in one accord are leading us in the path of wisdom throughout all of life and telling us over and over again about the promised victory of God's kingdom through his son, his anointed king, whom we know as Jesus Christ. And so here, at the beginning of this book. Psalms 1 and 2 are inviting us in to the rest of the Psalms, saying basically, if you give yourself to prayerful meditation and reflection upon all the Psalms in this book, you will find blessedness in God and in his eternal kingdom. Now, how so? Well, as Psalm 1 declares, in the Psalms we find wisdom, wisdom to get through the dark valleys of grief, the troubles that, are, that hit us in life. And also, we find in the Psalms the wisdom to celebrate with great joy those mountaintop moments in life. The Psalms are for every aspect, every part of our life. 
And then in Psalm 2, we find that the message is about God's coming kingdom and the king who will bring it. That promised king will be a descendant of King David, who was an author of many of the Psalms. And he would be a righteous man after God's own heart, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and one ultimately who triumphs over death itself to reign forevermore. Look at verse 3 in Psalm 1. To go through life, we find, without the truths of these two psalms, is like a fruit tree trying to grow in the middle of a desert, far from streams of water. That's what this is declaring to us. We need these streams of water. If you don't go through this doorway, in a sense, you will not flourish, you will not be fruitful, and ultimately you will not stand in the gathering of the righteous before God on the day of judgment. And that's what the reality of this psalm, or these psalms, are opening up to us this morning, that life is more than what just meets the eye, more than what we just see. Life is more than billions of particles randomly colliding against one another. Far more. Life is this gift designed and sustained by God, the eternal creator who is blessed forever. And these psalms tell us that the creator has spoken in human history, and he has acted in human history, and he calls us to live from him and to him and for him forever. He calls you today to that reality as well, promising you true blessedness that is found in him and in him alone. Psalm 1 tells us you cannot find true blessedness apart from God's Word, and Psalm 2 tells us that you cannot enjoy lasting blessedness apart from His kingdom and the King that He has appointed, Jesus. So again, these two doors stand and they speak of blessedness. They work hand in hand like this grand double-door entrance into all of the Psalms. And that leads us to the next part. Notice how these Psalms 1 and 2 are latched together by repeated words. These repeated words are like, picture this, big iron handles or brackets interlocking these two doors together. What are the key words interlocking these two Psalms? Blessed, meditation, and destruction or perish. So first, blessed, blessed. In Psalm 1, Verse 1, look there, we find this declaration. Blessed is the man. In the last verse of Psalm 2, look there, verse 12 of Psalm 2, we hear this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see how they were both found there. Blessed is the man and blessed are all who take refuge in him, that is the king. Now what is meant by blessed here? Well, one who is blessed has stable joy and enduring peace from God. God gives that blessedness to all who live by wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord, and walk by faith in His promises. Now, who doesn't want to be filled with stable joy and enduring peace? We all want that. We all want that. And that's what blessedness is with God. That's what He's offering us through these psalms. And again, blessedness is stable joy and enduring peace given to all who live by God's wisdom and trusting in His promises. 
That's what he's offering us this morning. True blessedness is found in God. And these psalms are opening up that reality to us, like those big doors calling us to come in, find blessedness in God. And if you walk through this doorway of faith, well, God will give you a clearer vision of his world and his promised victory in the end and your part as well in the story. So I want you to leave today, I want to kind of ingrain this image into your mind, the picture of those big double doors on a cathedral. And so the left door, we could say, represents Psalm 1, and on it is written, Blessed are all who live by the wisdom of the Lord, his word. And on the right-hand door, which represents Psalm 2, is written, Blessed are all who take refuge in the King and his promised victory. There they are, the doorway to blessedness. And they're loudly declaring to us this morning that you cannot be blessed apart from these truths that are found in these poems. You have to go through them and receive the truths here to find true blessedness. What I mean is that you have to believe that God is telling us the truth in the Bible, the true path towards blessedness. And you have to believe that you cannot earn, ultimately, true blessedness by your own obedience. True blessedness, as we find in Psalm 2, at the very end, there is a gift, a gift that God gives to all who what? Take refuge in the Son of God, in his King. What does take refuge mean? Well, it means to come under the protection of King Jesus. You must believe that he has the power. He does have the power to forgive you all your sins. And he has as well the power to restore you again. You have to trust in the power of his blood and the power of his resurrection from the dead. If you want the gift of blessedness, you must acknowledge Jesus as the present and future king over all things. If you want blessedness, you must swear your heart's allegiance to King Jesus alone. And you must express that loyalty to him like a grateful farmer would in years past, coming before his king, thankful for the provision and protection of his king, and kissing his hand like Psalm 2 describes, giving your loyalty over to him. If you want blessedness, you need more than the wisdom that is found and presented in Psalm 1. You need the king who is destined to conquer all evil in the end, even death itself. You need Jesus. If you want blessedness, you need Jesus. So blessedness is that first repeated word that interlocks these two poems, these two psalms. The second repeated word is meditates. Meditates. Look back at Psalm 1. What is the blessed man doing? Well, first we hear what he doesn't do. He doesn't run around with fools doing foolish things. He doesn't act like a fool because he's not a fool. But that's the stuff that he isn't doing, right? He's keeping himself from those things. What does the blessed man actively do? Well, look at verse 2. The blessed man has delight in God's word. And therefore, he meditates on it. But it's like that question that we often throw out kind of as a joke. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken or the egg? In this case, which came first, the delight or the meditation? Well, how can you delight in something that you don't give your attention to, right? 
You can't admire, for example, the beauty of a museum-quality painting with just a quick glance, a few seconds. That's not enough to truly admire something so grand and beautiful. You have to stand there before the painting and gaze at it. You have to examine the diversity of colors. You have to look into it to see the different brush strokes and in the paint and observe the scene and the subject that's presented on the painting. You have to linger there in front of it to admire it. And that applies to all art or music. You have to give your attention to it. And so delight is something that arises from the process of meditation on that which is beautiful, true, and good. And nothing is as beautiful, good, and true as God's perfect word. And therefore, it offers us the greatest delight when we give our attention to it. So the blessed man has seen that meditation on God's word is delightful, and so he meditates on it more and more. He says, day and night. He meditates on it. What does that look like? Again, it looks like a person admiring a famous painting, giving his attention to it, or perhaps a person that's riveted by reading a really good book. You see, meditation is that focused attention and heart engagement with what is before you. And the meditation of the Word, that is giving your full heart's attention and devotion to what is written before us, opening ourselves up to it. You have to open yourself up to the Word of God. And for those of you who are uh, jujitsu crew here that do that, um, I'm speaking in my ignorance here, but I know enough about it, that meditation is, in, in the Word of God, is like leaving it all on the mat. You guys say that, right? Leaving it all on the mat. Grabbing the Word like your opponent on the mat. And giving your focused attention to your thinking. Making sure that you're all in, Right? And so you do with that passage that is before you, or that verse that is before you, wrestling with it, like Jacob wrestling with the angel in the night, wrestling until he got the blessing. Wrestle with God's Word, grapple with it, give your focused attention to it until you get the blessing. What is the blessing? It's the wisdom and strength of faith that comes as we meditate on God's Word. And so the blessed man goes to the Word day and night in order to draw out wisdom and courage, strength for his faith. And that is pictured for us as well in Psalm 1 by this tree. This tree that is planted where? By streams of water. Now kids, why is it, why is it that trees that are planted alongside rivers, flowing streams of water, why are those trees always the biggest and the greenest and seem to be the most happy trees? Well, it's because they have the, that fresh supply of water right below them in the soil to reach down with their roots and draw up that life. And that's what we need to do with God's Word, to reach down deep into the soil of His Word, to draw up fresh supplies of living water from Him. And again, that that day and night, day by day and by night, the consistency here seems to be the key. Think of this, trees that are planted by streams of flowing water, they don't get up and move. They like where they are. They stay there. They dwell there. And so if we want to experience blessedness, we need to stay in the Word. We need to meditate on the Word day and night. 
We need to be those who are planted in the Word of God throughout our whole lives, like trees that are planted by streams of water. And so those who are blessed are those who meditate on the Word of God. Now, as I mentioned, we're looking at those three brackets on these two big double doors, right? And so where is the word or the concept meditates found in Psalm 2? We've been looking at Psalm 1. Where is it in Psalm 2? Well, the English word is not present. It's not repeated for us in English, but the Hebrew word is. Now look at verse 1 of Psalm 2. It reads this, Why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain? Now, which word in that sentence seems to be most similar to meditates? Which word? Plot. Plot here. And so that the original Hebrew word behind the English word plot is the same that we find for meditates in Psalm 1. They look different in English, but in Hebrew they are exactly the same. So meditates is that second interlocking word that connects these two psalms together. But do you notice the contrast here? This is drastic. The blessed man, what do we find him doing? We find him submissive to God's word, meditating on it. But what do the peoples do? What do the nations do? They plot on how to reject God's authority, to cast his authority off. Look again at what the people say in verse 3, against the Lord and his king. They say, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They want to get rid of God's moral authority in their life. They don't want to be submissive to him. They don't want to live by his rules. They want to live by their own rules. And sadly, this is what we see all around us today. All sorts of people, rich and poor, trying to reject God's authority in life. And how do people do that? Well, many people just block him from their minds. You know how we block people on social media sometimes, right? With just a click. You can essentially avoid seeing any posts from another person. You kind of erase them from your own virtual world online. And so you don't see them anymore. You can block them and they're gone until you unblock them. Well, that's how people seek freedom, it seems, from God today. They just block them, block God in their minds, choosing to believe instead that all beauty, goodness, and truth that we admire and see around us is nothing more than cosmic coincidences, and that there's no inherent meaning or purpose or grand finality, finale to life. That's the alternative. Now, how does anyone come to believe that? How does anyone live according to that belief? Well, as Psalm 2 says, it's because they want to live by their own rules, not God's rules. And so they want to cast off God. Remember how the blessed man sees the word? What is the word like to the blessed man? Well, the word is like streams of water flowing from which he draws up life. But how do the peoples, how do the nations see the Bible, God's word? Well, it's implied in verse 3. They refer to God's word as chains and shackles. They hate his word because they want to be free to live by their own rules. So which person are you this morning? How do you see God's word? Do you see it like the man of Psalm 1, the streams of water in which you delight in? Or do you see it kind of as a ball and chain 
dragging you down, keeping you back, that you want to just get rid of. Well, here's a tip for you. It's what I tell my boys at the dinner table when we put a plate of food before them and maybe there's something on there that they haven't tried before and they're, they say it's disgusting and they don't want it, they want to push it away. I tell them, you have to try it. Just try it. Try it out, right? And so I tell you the same. Try it out. Try and read the Bible. Give your attention to it. Meditate on God's Word, and you might find it, you will find it, to be true, good, and beautiful. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So we've seen meditate on the Scriptures, and they will lead you to blessedness. We've seen so far those first two words that interlock these psalms. What was the first? Blessed. Blessed. And the second word, meditates. Now to the third one, destruction or perish. And we find this repeated word at the end of both psalms, which are warning us here about the com- what comes for those who reject God in the end. Well, Psalm 1-6 at the end says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction, or will perish. And in Psalm 2-12 it says, Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so the choice is simple and clear before us this morning. If you choose to go your own way in life, apart from God, that always leads to destruction, to perishing. Every other way is a dead end at death. It stops. And God warns us that He will judge the nations at that dead end. Right after comes judgment. On the day of judgment, all who rejected God and Jesus as king will be separated from the righteous by faith in Jesus. And billions of people who lived in this world, who rejected God in life, will will not stand in eternal blessedness. The way of self-reliance leads to destruction, to perishing. Psalm 1 tells us that those who go that way will be like leaves, like chaff that's just blown away in the wind, gone in an instant. Justice will be served, and evil will be destroyed in the end. And that is that third repeated word that's interlocking these two psalms. We've seen blessed, we've seen meditates, and destruction. So we've seen Psalms 1 and 2 as these great doors giving us his entrance into the Psalter, into this collection of psalms, and this way towards true blessedness. We've examined those three words, blessed, meditates, and destroys, that are interlinking, interlocking these two psalms like brackets on a door. So keep that image in your mind. Visualize it. At the front of this book stands those two doors with those interlocking brackets. This is the doorway to true blessedness. Now, thinking of doorways, have you ever gone into the kitchen, perhaps at night, and you walk through the doorway and you totally forgot what you needed? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah, me. It's happened to me. So once you walk through that door, you can't remember why you were there. What happens? You maybe go to the refrigerator, open it up, 
look inside for a minute, and nope, that wasn't it. Then you go to the cupboard and open up the cupboard, and no, that wasn't it either, right? What happens? Well, when you walked through the doorway, the moment you walked through the doorway, you forgot. And in 2011, a team of psychologists at the University of Notre Dame in the U.S. published the paper, Walking Through Doorways Causes Forgetting. And so one of the researchers explains their main discovery this way, saying, entering or exiting through a doorway serves as an event boundary in the mind. So that means that when you walk through a doorway, the event itself of walking through the doorway triggers something in your brain to make you forget what just happened before in the other room, discarding that old information. Why? Because, in a sense, a new scene has begun. You walk through that door, the old information is gone, preparing you for new information, like a new chapter in the story of your life has just opened up, and the doorway triggers a, a new storyline in your thinking, in your brain. That is what God is calling us to this morning. Again, there stands those double doors with the three brackets, the doorway to blessedness, and God is calling us to walk through it. Why? Because he wants to rewrite our minds. He wants to rewrite our minds and our hearts as we pass through these double doors. What do I mean? Another illustration. Kids, have you heard of the author C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis? The late C.S. Lewis? You remember his book series, The Chronicles of Narnia? If you do, help me finish the name of the first book. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The Wardrobe, right? Now, what did the wardrobe do in the story? It was a magical portal to another world, to Narnia, right? And when the children walked through that doorway of the wardrobe, they experienced life in a new, fresh, and exciting way, a distinct way, a holy way that they hadn't seen before. And that's how I want you to think of these Psalms 1 and 2. They're like C.S. Lewis's wardrobe, a portal to seeing God's world in a fresh new, exciting way, a holy way, with clear vision of the truth, leading us to true blessedness in Jesus Christ. So picture that, not only the big double doors, but also the wardrobe leading into Narnia. Now, as I said in the beginning, that doorway that we are considering here at the beginning of the Psalter is pointing forward to Jesus. How so? Well, in John's Gospel account in the New Testament, we hear Jesus declare this about himself, that he is the gate of salvation. John 10, 7 to 10, we hear this. Therefore, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What does this mean? It means that Jesus is the threshold from death to eternal life. He is the gateway from perishing to true living, from brokenness to mended, from increasing sorrow to increasing joy. What confidence do we have that that is who Jesus is? Jesus alone passed through death to live again in resurrected glory. Jesus is the truly blessed man who delighted to live by God's word, meditating on it day and night, and yet he was destroyed for our sins. 
But now he stands in resurrected glory, blessed with life, like a tree firmly planted and producing fruit forevermore. These psalms are pointing towards Jesus. As he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so, friends, there at that doorway, picture this. Jesus stands now, as it were, at that threshold with his arms stretched out, inviting you in. That threshold between this present evil age and the age to come, this world and the world to come, and he bids you, come in. Come to me. Give your loyalty to me. Give your whole heart's allegiance to Jesus. Ask him to pull you through by faith in him. Wherever you are in life right now can become that boundary event for you. An event where you pass through the doorway of faith. Forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. Our eternal blessedness with God in Christ. For blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And when you do that, when you walk through that doorway by faith, know this, that King Jesus will give you a bath on the inside. He will cleanse you from all your sins, which is pointed out to us symbolically by our water baptism. And not only that, he will give you a meal each week to strengthen you along the way, the Lord's Supper. But best of all, Jesus gives us, sends to us personally his Holy Spirit to be with us, to be with you, to be beside you at all times until we meet at last in the glory of God's eternal, blessed kingdom. And so even if you have already come to Jesus by faith many years ago, go to him again. Go to him again. Entrust yourself to your faithful king time and time again and let him carry you forward to true blessedness. Trust in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we delight in your word as we have had the opportunity to meditate on it this morning. For in fact, it has shown us, you have shown us, O Lord, the way to true blessedness through this entrance into the Psalter, this doorway to blessedness, which ultimately points to Jesus, who is the gate of salvation. Lord, we do ask that you would grant us the faith and repentance to turn away from our sins, turn away from our self-reliance, trying to live by our own rules, and instead that we would symbolically kiss the Son, kiss his hand in loyal obedience to him, and submit ourselves to your wisdom and your direction through life, trusting in your promises to give us blessedness through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Make this a reality, Lord, and stick this this image of the door, the double doors here at the beginning of the Psalter in the minds and hearts of each of us, not just that it would be a picture there, but that we would actually go through it by faith time and time again and find refuge in Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.